And today in our scripture, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, picking back up where we left off last week in verse 13, we will finish chapter 1 today. I hope you've been joining us since we started this uh, new book, 2 Timothy, and you grabbed, you got 1 Timothy as well. If you haven't, I encourage you to go back and listen to the teachings to catch up on uh, the, the book with us. And we'll continue to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Now, during this period of time, Paul and the entire Christian community found themselves in very dangerous times as a Christian. If you remember, a full throttle push of assault and killing of Christians were happening in the Roman Empire at this time. Paul found himself, they seeked after him after being released from prison. He had some freedom for a little bit of time, but the Roman government went back and tried to find him and brought him back to Rome and find himself now into the Memetine prison there in Rome. Back in Jerusalem, an invasion is probably happening at this point in time by the Roman army, led by the future emperor Titus with Tiberius Julius Alexander as his second-in-command. And about that same time, Paul is in Rome writing in the prison uh, this letter to young Timothy, Pastor Timothy. We find that the uh, Jerusalem was under besieged and conquered. By, the whole city of Jerusalem was conquered by the Roman army. Now we see in Paul's second letter here, he writes to Timothy as a leader in the church to exhort him to be stay faithful in the ministry. Paul knew his life was coming to an end. And what is the last things you tell someone in the, in the faith? Someone, as we see, his beloved son in the faith, he was like a son to him in the ministry who's been by Paul's side through the ministry in his young life. Paul probably had a significant play in his uh, leading him to Christ on one of his missionary journeys. And now we find himself, this, this old man, this old pastor, this apostle, writing his second letter here to young Timothy to encourage him in the work of the ministry. Timothy, continue God's work. My life is coming to an end, we will find. And so he sits here and Paul's going to exhort him, encourage young Timothy in two things in these verses that we find in this part of the letter. We will see that God is, or Paul is going to exhort Timothy to stay faithful to God's word, verses 13 and 14. And then we will see in verses 15 through 18, we're going to see that Paul is going to exhort Timothy to stay faithful as God's servant. So let's look here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. It says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me, and faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So after writing the important part of the letter, of the first part of the letter, telling Timothy to remain spiritually bold. Be encouraged, Timothy. 
It requires boldness or encouragement from the Lord to continue in the ministry when the ministry gets very difficult. When people are persecuting and they do not uh, want to, to follow what the, th the truths of God. The culture is having tremendous uh, impact on the church uh, people. You're finding yourself, it seems like you're all by yourself in the ministry. People who used to be faithful are no longer faithful. Used to be bold to unshare the gospel, they're no longer sharing the gospel. They're hiding because the government's after them. You see me being, uh, being taken away from family and, 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 and friends and the, from the church and being dragged and putting back into prison. And we see that many people were ashamed, not only of the testimony of the Lord that we see in the first part of chapter 1, but they were also ashamed of the fact that Paul was finding himself in prison once again. So Paul was writing to him and saying, Stay bold, Timothy. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. And do not be ashamed of the fact that I'm imprisoned once again. Don't get in your mind. You don't want to associate with Paul because you fear that you too will be imprisoned. But now we see in this part of the letter of chapter 1 here that Paul next called Timothy and all godly ministers, all leaders within the church to stay faithful in God's truth and to follow the pattern of sound words or healthy words or the truths, the doctrines of God. Hold fast suggests someone or something would try to take the truth from you, Timothy. Be very careful as a leader in the ministry, Timothy, because there's something or someone, the culture or false teachers are coming in and are going to try to take you and away from being faithful in teaching God's truth. And will get you wrapped up into the social things of life. Or wrapped up into some false teaching or some watered-down truth. Be very careful, Timothy. Hold fast. Hold tight. Stay faithful in God's truth. The pattern of sound words that I have taught you. You've heard it from me directly, Timothy. You've watched the ministry. You've been raised in the ministry. You've seen how the pattern and the truths I keep teaching just continue that same pattern. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to come up with you know, some new way of gimmicks to make this work, Timothy. You just stay faithful in teaching the word just like I, you've heard from me, from my own mouth. You've watched my, you've watched my own life, Timothy. Follow the pattern. It takes a special truth, a person to truly hold fast. We see in Ephesians 4.14 how important that verse is to many in the ministry because it takes someone who is not going to be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. That happens today, my brothers and sisters. This is not happening just then. We know that the scripture is true today. And it happens because there's trickery of by men to, to deceive you and to trick you to walk away from the, the word of God. And we must be warned as well. Don't get caught up in the tossing to and fro of all these winds of doctrines that we hear about and see. 
And this is an important measure for any pastor, for any leader in the church. He must hold fast to the pattern of sound words. The primary measure should be not based on how humorous he is from the pulpit. Or how exciting he can get the people or his personality or charisma or his very short messages on a Sunday. Or even his evangelistic or prophecy interested type topics all the time. That's not the pattern he's talking about here. He's talking about the truths of God. The word of God. That he continues to teach the word of God to the people to feed them a healthy diet so that they can partake and be healthy sheep. The pattern of sound words suggests that true teaching according to God's truth has a certain pattern. A pattern that can be detected by the discerning hearts of his people. That you can go in and be asked to be visiting. If you're traveling and you decide, oh, I want to go to church on a Sunday because we're traveling. Let's go to church. And we walk in and you sit down and you do not hear the pattern of the word of God taught clearly. The discernment, the radar of discernment, the spirit of God just says, this doesn't sound right. Something's just not following along here. Not if the music's a certain way. Not if he didn't tell enough jokes. He didn't tell you enough good stories. He didn't tell you all the fun things that he's doing as a pastor. He didn't just drive up on some motorcycle on the, on the stage to give you some prop to think about. But the pattern that you are hearing of the word of God, the truth being taught to you, so that you can hold on and apply to your life. That's what Paul's talking to Timothy about. The sound words Timothy had was to hold on to, to come to him from this man, Paul, that God used in his life. And God uses pastors, leaders in the church to teach this pattern to you. They should be if they're faithfully doing what God's called them to do. You must always be aware of a person who rejects all human teachers and says, it's just me and my Bible. I don't need anybody else. Be very careful in that saying because God used Paul to communicate the pattern of sound words. And Timothy learned and was expected to stay faithful in that pattern. God does use others to communicate God's truth. God's word even today. It's important. If Timothy changed this outline or this pattern or abandoned this pattern that he was taught as a pastor by Paul. Then how would Timothy be able to measure good teachers or bad preachers that are coming and going. How would he be able to measure if they're doing what God's called them to do according to the word of God? We today need to hold fast to what Paul taught for the same reason. We must hold this pattern of teaching the just the pure word of God. The Bible supports the Bible. You don't need something to be supporting in the Bible by going out and looking for some worldly example. 
Just use the Bible to support what you're trying to get across or learn in the scripture. And you've heard me say that so many times, and I'll continue to say that because it's so important that you realize that. That's why we get the whole counsel of God, Genesis to Revelation. Now notice that Paul says to Timothy, your orthodoxy must be tempered. How? Well, we see at the very end of that verse 13, in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Timothy's faithfulness in the ministry has to be grounded in faith and in love that comes from Jesus Christ. Some people like God's word and considers it only as an intellectual matter. They're always striving to the PhD doctrinate level of doctrinal knowledge. Got their orthodoxy down just perfectly and they've got all the, fa the, the fancy little words that go along with it. But they leave out the faith and love. One of the patterns you all know, that pattern we see in Ephesians 4.15, that we speaking truth in love. That is a divine pattern that must be taught and must be displayed by the pastors who are teaching the word of God. Speaking truth in love. How easy it has become combative, hostile, aggressive in our desire to defend our faith. Or to become a witch hunter. Or to become a legalist who creates problems within the body of Christ. Why? Because their knowledge is so much, but there is no faith in love in Jesus Christ. Faith in love describes how the truth is to be held. You hold the truth in faith and in love. And you give out in faith in love that truth. We hold it in faith, truly believing the word of God. Putting our lives on it. Trusting our entire life based on the word of God. Can you imagine if I don't, and, it, and I, I'm not, want to put down any pastor or anybody. I'm just telling you from my own perspective. My, my responsibility, the calling of God on my life. How can I come up here and teach the word of God and not have faith in the word of God? How can I just look at this and say, Hi, I'm the teacher today. You're the listener. and I'm getting paid a job to come up here to teach you a few words. I've got about 15 minutes according to my contract that I have to teach for you. So I'm going to say a few things and let's have more music. But then I don't believe what I'm teaching. I'm just reading it. I'm just going to teach, read it to you. I don't believe it. And I don't apply it to my life. There's no faith in what I'm teaching you. Not only that, but he says that we hold it in love. We hold the word of God. We deliver the word of God as a pastor. Not only by faith, that means I apply it to my life. I do it. I don't, just, I don't just read it. I don't just hear it. I don't just be a hearer of the word. I'm a doer of the word. 
And I'm trying to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, to be the same way. Follow the pattern that you hear from me. Follow the pattern you see in my life. But not only do I do it in knowledge, not only do I do it and couch it and give it to you by faith, but I also do it in love. I don't do it because I have this proud arrogance about me because I've got the PhD in, in theology and you don't. I've got the, the initials after my name. I've got the plaque on the wall that says I'm a pastor and you're not. That's proud arrogance or self-seeking superiority. If a pastor thinks they're superior, there's more holier than thou. Or proud arrogance, he is not delivering the pattern of the word of God to his people. He doesn't have the faith and he doesn't have the love. Now you're asking, well, give me a little bit more about this. Well, I'll give you one example that we see in the scripture because scripture supports scripture. Have you heard the word Pharisee before? religious leaders that is a perfect example of someone who had the truth but no faith and love in delivering that truth if one thinks they are faithful in the truth but does not show faith does not show love in their person's life, then they may not, I mean, they're just nothing more than a pharisaical type religious person. This religious group, this Pharisees in Jesus' day was very committed to holding certain teachings. But had no fruit of faith and love that was evident in their lives. And to find that balance, to be balanced, is a commitment to the truth always requires faith and love. Why? Because faith and love is these virtues that you must hold on to the truth in, which ultimately come only from being in Christ. You can go back and he referenced that in the beginning of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14 as well. About this faith and love. Then he continues here in verse 14. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This, that good thing, that the gospel, the, the truth of God, the word of God. Hold this good thing which was committed to you, Timothy. This word committed, we've seen multiple times in the scripture, it means like a deposit. God has deposited into your account, has deposited into your life, and you must do something with that deposit. It must earn interest. You have to be, you're going to get, you've been given something very, very important, Timothy. Not only is it committed to you, deposited into your life, but you must be keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. How do you able to commit or be committed or depo the deposit was given to you to handle that faithfully with, and that be fruitful from it? Only by the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is the only way you and I can do that. 
Timothy had something committed to him that Paul called a good thing, no doubt. You have the gospel that gives life. You have a message, Timothy, that sets people free from the bondage of sin. How can you take that deposit and keep it to yourself? You should be, it should be going out, Timothy. Don't water it down, Timothy. Don't avoid it, Timothy. Teach the whole counsel of God, Timothy. Everything I've shown you, the pattern. Follow the pattern. Don't deviate from it, Timothy. Stay faithful, Timothy. Timothy needed faithfulness to keep that good thing. God had committed many good things to us. The question is, will we stay faithful and keep them as a believer? Now, keep is more than just an idea of holding. Can you keep this? Okay, I can hold it. But it's something also it means to guard and to use it wisely. That's what that word means in the original language. It's not only just to keep, but to use it wisely to safeguard what God has, what you've been given to you. God has given us the gospel. He has given us his word. He has given us spiritual gifts. He has given us family relationships. He has given us time and talents and resources beyond your own understanding. Education and so on. And you could go on and on the list of what God has given you. Deposit it into your life. Do you, have you, you, are you holding on to that priceless? I mean, with value? Are you guarding it? Are you using it wisely? We must be faithful to keep those good things in a way that brings glory and credit to our Lord. Now we live in a time where faithfulness is only expected so long as it serves our own interests. And when it stops serving our interests, when it stops being so easy and convenient... When it stops being our immediate, having immediate advantage to our life, we are so unfaithful and so it, it, easy for many people to just feel like, just fine, I'll just give it up. This, this is my responsibility. I don't care. I'm not getting anything out of it anyway. Doesn't meet all my needs. I, no big deal. But you've committed. Uh, you know. Everyone can change their mind. But you gave your word on no big deal. They'll get over it. That is a culture that we're in today. Just walk away when you just don't feel like it. But this is not honoring to God. Being faithful to God means having the heart that will do what is right even when it seems not to be in your own Advantage. Psalm 15, verse 4. But he honors those who fear the Lord, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. 
and he doesn't change. True faithfulness is shown when it costs something to stay faithful. Is that a faithful person? All you have to do is watch their lives. They're faithful when it's easy, faithful when it's convenient, faithful when it has their advantage for them. They get, they get something out of it. They gain something. Absolutely, they're there. Soon as it takes and it costs them something, and they don't get what they want, it's not easy, it's not convenient, they're gone. That's not a faithful person. Their yes will be their yes, and their no will be their no. That's where we want to be as a child of God, to the Holy Spirit, to do a work in our lives to a point where we find ourselves to be faithful regardless of how we feel. Paul committed the message to Timothy. Timothy's responsibility was to continue to deposit that same message to other leaders to teach. Timothy, I've taught you. God has taught me. I have taught you. Now you must teach the other leaders in the church to continue the pattern, Timothy. I'm going to be gone, Timothy. You're the one that's going to be held responsible with the whole bag in your hand. No pressure. <laughs> no big deal. No pressure. But remember... God had given the deposit of spiritual truth to Paul. We saw that in 1 Timothy 1.18. And Paul had given it to Timothy, the same spiritual truth, and he was to guard it. We saw that exhortation to him in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. And it was now Timothy's solemn responsibility to hold fast to this truth. We see in verse 13. And share this precious deposit of Christian truth and pass it on to others. And we will see Paul speaking to them about that in 2 Timothy 2.2. God is faithful with what he, that we commit to him. First Tim, 2 Timothy 1.12, God is faithful with what we commit to him. The question is, will we stay faithful with what he has committed or deposited to us? And also understand, we see very clearly what Paul tells Timothy. Timothy, you will not be able to stay faithful unless you allow the Holy Spirit to help you. The Spirit of God enables us to stay faithful, Timothy. Don't ever forget it. Why? He says right there, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. When you're a believer, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit himself, dwells within you and I. Sealing us for eternal life. That is the key to faithfulness, my brothers and sisters. If you haven't underlined that in your Bibles, I would highly underline that because that is the key to faithfulness. God requires a faithfulness from us that is greater than we are capable of doing on our own resources. Unless we're walk in, walking in the Spirit and are filled with the Holy Spirit, we cannot keep faithful to what we must stay faithful to. 
We must remember the Holy Spirit who committed the truth to Timothy. He would also help Timothy to guard that truth. The Holy Spirit, God himself, doesn't give you truth and then turn around and say, you're on your own, let's see how you're going to do. You're going to sink as fast as you even try to stand up. But God himself, the Holy Spirit says, I give you and deposit this truth to you. I'm also going to guard it in your life and to protect you if you will trust me. Apart from the ministry of the Spirit, we are in the dark when it comes to understanding the Word of God. How many times people have said, Oh, Pastor, I've, I've been coming here, I just, I'm not understanding it. Do you know God? Do you, have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if you have not, then you don't have the Spirit of God living inside you to teach you all things. I love the testimonies when someone does come here for a while. And they haven't committed their life to Jesus Christ yet. But they keep showing up. They're trying to just understand this. And all of a sudden, God just, just, it just, the spirit moves. And then they realize, I need to open up my heart to Jesus. And they do let him in and he surrender their life. And then from that point on, I love the testimony when I hear from a believer. I now understand God's word. And I can't get enough of God's word. You can't keep them from the word of God. That's why it's one of the biggest indicators of someone who's saved. Who has the spirit of God inside them. That they cannot get enough of the word of God. They need to read it. They need to hear it. They need to talk about it. But I know some of you. But that, that's not true, Pastor, because I've been a Christian for 20 years or 10 years or 20 or 30, and I'm having difficulties hearing this. The, the, you know, the, I can't really understand the Word of God right now. That's not because you don't have the Spirit. It's because you're probably grieving the Spirit or quenching the Spirit because you have sin in your camp that needs to get, something's in your life that's not right. You're not being obedient to what God's already shown you. You just haven't gotten rid of it. So why would he continue to speak to you if you haven't been obedient to the first thing he told you to do? Surrender that. Let this, ask the Spirit of God. What is it in my life that is hindering you from me to hear your truths and apply it to my, I assure you, God is faithful to show you and put his finger right on that little hot spot. That knot that just seems to sit right there in the neck. And confess it and let it go, my brother. Let it go, my sister. Let go of the unforgiveness. Let go of the resentment. And you, in, what, name, name it what's, what God is speaking to your heart about right now. And then watch the fresh filling of God come and you'll be no longer quenching or grieving the Spirit and watch God start speaking to you as you read and you listen to the Word of God. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. The Spirit of God is going to, the Spirit is the one who must teach us. We see that in John 16, 13. The Spirit teaches us. And enables us to guard the truth and share it with others. That is how it happens. From the beginning of human history, 
Satan has opposed God's word from the very beginning of time. We see it in Genesis 3.1. When Satan's first words to mankind are seen right there in the scripture. When he says, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Satan is always trying to stop you and I to stay on the pattern of the truths of God. Without the history of the church, throughout the history of the church, the word of God has been attacked often by people in the church itself. But let me remind you, my brothers and sisters, we still have the word of God. Even though Satan has tried to take out the word of God, all of this history of ours, we still have the word of God. And we always will be. Why is that? Because dedicated men and women have, just like Paul and Timothy, guarded the deposit and the faithfully handled the word of God to, and handed it to the next generation of Christians. When you've got the word of God as a parent, you are to teach the word of God to your children. That is your responsibility as a Christian father and mother. That is a deposit he has given to you and you must exercise that and you must be faithful. Stay faithful in teaching your children the word of God. And if you don't know how to teach it, that is why we gather together and God uses men like myself or the children's ministry that uses people to teach there until you are sound on the pattern of teaching the word of God to your children. We're here to help you, not to replace you. Do you know you're still responsible of teaching your children how to read and write and to raise them up to be good uh, uh, people in society, not teachers in our school system? You're still held responsible. You just use them to help you to, to supplement, but you're still held responsible. But I had the best of college professors for my... No, that doesn't... Ain't gonna swing it. You're still held responsible. To make sure you raise them up on the, according to the ways of God. Timothy's responsibility to preserve sound teaching from becoming corrupt through distortion or from delusion or from del from de uh, deletion or even addition. You're not supposed to add or delete from the word of God. And Timothy was supposed to protect that. That's what pastors do. You were supposed to protect the word of God and make sure you know the word of God. And then you do the same thing. Heretical teaching was a constant threat that they needed to be guarded on. False teachers were coming and going all the time. False winds of these doctrines blowing through the church constantly are coming in and through. And when a church of any 
other Christian organization, any church or even Christian organization that goes liberal, it usually starts with a weakening or compromising by the leaders of those organizations. They no longer have conviction for the word of God. When you say, I don't have to believe this in the word of God, you are on a slippery slope down. Only a matter of time that your, the organization or the church that is in will be dried up. It will not be honoring to God. And like Timothy, we can count on the assurance of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. We must do that. Go back and read 1 John chapter 3, verse 24 and 1 John 4.13. We must desire to promote the truth about Christ. We must have that desire to promote the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Now in verse 15, we see now in verse 15 through 18 that Paul is exhorting Timothy to stay faithful as a God's servant. And he's going to give us an example of an unfaithful servant and he's going to give us an example of a faithful servant, of, of, of reminding and emphasizing not only to Timothy, but to those who are li listening and reading this letter from Paul. He's going to give examples for them here in, this, uh, in this, uh, the church that was reading this, and even for today, in our life today, to remind us of how we're supposed to stay faithful. He says in verse 15, This you know that all those... In Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Philegius and Hermogenes. So Paul starts off by giving an example of unfaithful men. That everyone who was reading this letter, especially to Timothy, knew who these two men were. Who were they? We don't know very much about anything about these men. But two things I will highlight for you. One is... You're in the word of God for the rest of time to be, and your names are lifted up as being unfaithful men. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want my name printed in the word of God. And the second thing is, everyone must have known them. They must have been key leaders in the church in this area. And Paul Drew it out. The great apostle Paul, at the end of his days, with a successful, fruitful, missionary career, is coming to an end. And he has not praised the world. He's not praised by the world. He doesn't praise the world. He doesn't... There's no anything in regards to lifting Paul up as a man. Even regarding from such, even other Christians, he says right here, <laughs> all of those in around Asia was turned away from me. They walked away. Now, if you were in today's world, Paul would be one of those examples. If you have a Christian radio, you wouldn't be asking Paul to come on the radio and do an interview. 
If they had a Christian magazine, he wouldn't be in the magazine, let alone on the front or even in the side note in the back. There was a publisher that took his letters and turned them into a book. No publisher would have ever printed Paul's books. And he certainly wouldn't have been asked to be on the speaking circuit at all the conferences. That's where Paul finds himself after a successful, fruitful missionary career. For many Christians of that day, Paul seemed to be too extreme in his commitment to Jesus Christ. Not only too extreme, but too committed. He's not flashy enough. He's not entertaining enough. He's not famous enough. He's, he's, he's by the book. He's like serious about the book. Like, he said, God said you shall not. And he actually believes it and lives it. And he, he expects other people who call themselves Christians to actually do the same thing. Can you believe that? Can you imagine a pastor reading you in the scripture that says, God says this is not good, you should not have this in your life? And he believes it, and he teaches it, and he expects the congregation to what? Follow that pattern? Yes, you should expect that. As a pastor, he doesn't have a say to be able to sit there and say, well, that applies to me. I, I agree with that. I'm fine with that. I, I, I teach it. I'm good with that. But you can believe whatever you want to believe. That's for me, but that might not. It, I'll just let you make that decision. Oh, yeah, you have to make that decision. But as a pastor, you, you can't sit there and say, well, if you decide not to follow what God's word is, it's okay. No big deal. It's between you and God. A pastor doesn't, cannot do that. He's held responsible for what he teaches and what he doesn't teach. That's why people church hop. Because they're looking for a church that are you friendly to fill in the blank type of people. We're not married, but we love each other, so it's okay, right? We can still be called Christians and still come to church and, and live our lives you know, sleeping together and living together, but we're not married. But we're married in the eyes of God. No, you're not. And as a pastor, I have to teach these things, and I also have to make sure you understand it and the consequences if you don't do it. It's a pattern. And it appears Phygelus and Hermogenes were two men who were leaders. They turned away from Paul. They decided that we're not going to follow this extreme Paul because he's getting himself thrown into jail because of it. And we're not going to be committed that much to do that. No way. 
Now remember, Asia is geographically in the New Testament doesn't mean the Far East continent as we think of it today. It's referring to the Roman providence of Asian Minor, which is mostly consists of mostly of Turkey today. That's what we're talking about. This is the same place where the seven churches that is referenced in Revelation, the seven churches of Revelation, this is the area. Ephesus was the capital of this Asian area of the area that he's talking about. But these two men were likely and clearly leaders in the church. And when things got difficult, they abandoned Paul. They didn't stay faithful. They didn't hold fast. And Paul made sure that these two deserters in the faith against him were brought to light here. <laughs> we're reading their names today. Whew. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for people to turn against the leaders of a church who truly follow the word of God. It happens when deserters from the Christian work seek to excuse their own disgraceful conduct and their heart issues by inventing and justifying their reasoning or excuses of why they don't need to stay faithful to the word of God and to the upright ministers of the gospel. Again, we don't know much about these two guys, but all we know, it's not good. And you would think after all Paul did for these believers in Asia, sacrificing, dedicating his life, pouring out into the lives of these people, leading them to Christ, and now they have eternal life. He goes on and on, willing to go to prison for the truth. Instead, they were ashamed of him. They were ashamed of the testimony of the Lord that they, Paul shared with them. They were ashamed of it all. And these are leaders within the church. But what they didn't understand is they may be ashamed of Paul, but they also are ashamed of Christ. And we see that warning in 2 Timothy 4.16. It was certainly a very dark time, a very dark hour for Paul. Demas had forsaken him. We see that in 2 Timothy 4.10. His other associates also left the ministry and went off to other ministries to leave where Paul was at. False doctrines were spreading in the church. They were all over. We see that playing out here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Oh, how Paul, sitting here writing this letter, says, Oh, please, if I could only get out of prison and let me get back there, I'll be teaching the Word of God and preaching the Word of God and bringing them back to the pattern and being there along with Timothy and the two of us will just continue your work, God. But that wasn't God's will. 
God's will was the fact that, Paul, you have finished your race well. You've done what I've faithfully done, what I've asked you to do. Now, the Holy Spirit, God himself, is going to rise up Timothy. He will continue that work. And he will stay faithful. And you need to remind him, Paul, that's why I'm having you write this letter. In verse 16 through 18, we see the example of faithful man. A faithful man here. We see that there is one man who dared to leave Ephesus and come to Rome to assist Paul. One man of all of them. Just one. We see that the Lord grant mercy to the household of, of Anisiphorus, Anisiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. So here's a man who's introduced to us, Onesiphorus, and you only see his name mentioned twice. Here and also in verse 4 of chapter uh, of second, in 2 Timothy, at the end of chapter 4, verse 19, he refers to Onesiphorus' household in that, that scripture. All we know is that the Philegius and Hermogenes was unfaithful. But this man, Onesiphorus, was a faithful man. He had probably served alongside Paul while Paul was in Ephesus for those three years on his missionary journey. He developed a relationship and he was a faithful man. He served well there, as we will see in the scriptures. But he also, now he was the one that said, I'm not leaving Paul. Paul is in great need. Everyone else is scattered, but I'm going to Rome. That's significant. He may have been born and raised in Ephesus. And now he's finding himself going to Rome to go to Paul, who is a prisoner. But he wasn't ashamed of Paul. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel. He was committed to do what God called him to do, regardless of how he felt. Why? Because, remember, the Christian persecution, you would have died for your faith. But this man was committed to go to the, the poster child of Christianity, Paul himself, and find him Somewhere in Rome in prison. And that means he would have had to ask around until he found him. Because there were many prisons. So can you imagine? We see in the scripture here, we see that he was to be ministered to him, to go. So we find him going to Rome. And we see when he gets there, he has to find Paul. That means he has to ask a lot of Roman leaders, guards of prisoners. Is Paul the apostle in that black hole? Or is he in that black hole? No, go check the one down on that street. No, no, you have to go over here. Oh, oh yes, Paul himself. Yes, we heard. He's over here. That means you're a follower of Paul. How did he get in? How was he able to get to see Paul? I lean toward the fact that there was one other man there with Paul. Do you remember who that was? Luke. 
If you remember, he's Dr. Luke. Luke received his doctrinate there in Rome. So he probably was making sure Paul was taken care of from a medical and has access. And maybe it was through Luke that Onesiphorus was able to gain access to Paul. And what did he do? <laughs> Just want to let you know everyone back in Ephesus left you and you know we're thinking about you. We're praying for you, brother. No. We see right here, Paul says that he often refreshed me. He intentionally blessed Paul. That's what it means to refresh someone. To intentionally say, how can I bless my brother? How can I intentionally bless my sister? Because he or she is going through a very difficult time. That's what it means to refresh someone. And Paul says he did that. He worked to refresh him as an apostle there in the most, most difficult time at his end of his life. The second thing was, he was not ashamed of my chain. That means Onesiphorus showed himself to be a true faithful friend of Paul in his time of need. When the apostle was imprisoned, that didn't sway this man from showing faithfulness to what God called him to do and to come along his side and to go all the way from Ephesus to Rome to do it. A faithful friend. And the third thing is, is he sought me out very zealously and found me. He wasn't going to take a no, or he wasn't going to say, this is not easy. Are you kidding me? Are you, I'm not going to Rome. Are you kidding me? I could die for that. I could lose everything. I'm not following. Go help him and minister. Are you kidding me? I, 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 that could happen. No, no. This man zealously sought out and found Paul in prison, was willing to great risk to minister to him. And that's why in verse 18, the Lord granted to him. This is his prayer. This is Paul's prayer. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Paul was reminding, you remember, Timothy, how this man, um, Onesiphorus, ministered? Oh, you know this, Timothy. This man showed up to minister to me in my prison, in my darkest of times, my end of life. He was there for me, Timothy. That is a faithful man, Timothy. He stayed faithful to the end. And that's why I ask the Lord to grant him, and we will see later on, to grant his household mercy in that day. Your Bible should have a capital D for day. It's referring to the Bema seat. Lord knew exactly the wonderful, faithful heart of 
of uh, Onesiphorus. And the Lord knows it, and Paul knows it, that he is a faithful man, and he was asking the Lord to reward him in that day. That day, that judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, that all of us as believers will face when we leave this body. It will happen somewhere, sometime, after we're raptured, after we leave this body and go to, before the end of the tribulation, before Jesus returns with you and I on white horses, before, and somewhere in that time, we are going to meet that Bema seat, that judgment seat of Christ. And during that period of that judgment of the righteous, that Bema seat will result in more or less in the rewards and proportion of the faithfulness of that man. And you and I will be rewarded based on our faithfulness now. You can go back and read Luke chapter 19, verse 11 through 27. How faithful we are to the truths of God today will determine the rewards you and I will receive when we are in heaven at the Bema seat. Now that's not the great white throne judgment. That's for unbelievers. And that will happen at the end of the millennial. And that's when they get judged and thrown into everlasting torment of fire. with Satan and the demons. That, I hope, is not anyone who's listening to my voice this morning. If you're an unbeliever today, I pray that you will give your life to Jesus Christ completely and follow the pattern that Paul is telling to Timothy, that you would embrace Jesus and follow him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and be saved. That's my prayer for you. That's my hope for you. Be set free from any bondage you find yourself in this morning and commit your life to Christ. And then you'll be set free and you'll have a joy and a peace that you cannot even explain in your life any longer. And you will grow in your knowledge and understanding of who Jesus Christ is in, this, in, this, in the truth that God has given us. And you will have such assurance of the fact that you are going to the judgment seat of the righteous and not of the unrighteous. And that you will be rewarded for your faithfulness of his serving and of being obedient to him. What a beautiful thing it will be. You'll have eternal life and you will come back to reign with your Savior for the remaining of, your, of eternity. I hope you have that. I hope you have every morning. You're sitting here soon and very soon. Maybe perhaps today, Lord, you're going to come back for me. And I'm out of here. Because this is not my home. My home is in heaven with you. And coming back with you to create the new heavens and the earth. That is my hope. And Paul says here, I hope, Timothy, I hope this man, Anisphorus, is going to receive such blessings and rewards for his faithfulness of serving and supporting me in the ministry in Ephesus and here at Rome. And I hope and pray that that will be just poured out upon his life. And let me add this as a pastor today. 
Every pastor is so thankful for faithful members. Faithful members who assist in the work of the Lord. That helps you lift up your hands to do what God's called us to do as a body of believers. To reach the community who is lost and dying and going to hell. Or those in the faith who are not being fed and they need to know the word of God. They need to know the pattern because they're not being taught. They're not being nourished. And they're weak. It is such a blessing to have faithful members along your side. And my wife Kathleen and I have been blessed for so many years in the ministry. We've been able to have such faithful people along our sides in three different churches. And like I said, we're coming up on our 10th year here at this church. And we are so blessed to have faithful brothers and sisters along our side. Plowing, planting seeds and watering. Reaching the lost and encouraging those in the faith. And our work is just starting to begin. We're so excited of what God is doing. And has so faithfully done in and through this body here. And it is a blessing to serve alongside faithful saints whose prayers sustained us in such difficult times in the ministry over all these years. And how thankful God is for Christians who are a, like a breath of fresh air to us in our hours of trial. There is a tremendous contrast, my brothers and sisters, in the ministry, you can tell so clearly of the faithful versus the unfaithful. Clearly can see those who are strong in the Lord and those who are weak. Those who are trustworthy and those who are unreliable. There is a stark, noticeable, obvious difference. But let me remind you. In the ministry... To have a successful ministry, we see it in the scriptures here as Paul writes to Timothy, you must have spiritual boldness, courage to continue when everything else doesn't look like it's going well. You have to have that in the ministry to be successful. To be successful in your ministry that God's called you to do, you have to have spiritual boldness. You have to have courage. The second one is we saw you have to have spiritual passion. Agape love. And then we saw in the first part of 2 Timothy, the power of God. You have to have the spirit of God, the, 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 just the fresh filling of the spirit of God in your life daily. You have to be walking in the spirit and be filled with the spirit to be able to have the power of God to do this work in the ministry. And lastly, you have to have spiritual faithfulness. My prayers for you, my brothers and sisters, is to stay faithful. Keep following Jesus, regardless of how you feel.